0: The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and know their numbers? Is your money out of control? In this first season of Finesse Your Money, we're focusing on challenges for businesses right now and practical steps that you can take to overcome them. We've also got some awesome tips from our guests about what they are personally doing to keep their money in check. Finesse Your Money is hosted by me, Janine Wilson. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, more years than I care to say, and I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hi, and welcome. Our guest today is Stephen Fenton. He's the principal at Evolution Finance, and he's a specialist in mortgage lending for investors. Stephen started in the industry way back in 1996 with Aussie Home Loans, where he cut his teeth. Stephen met his mentor at that time, who was advising on investment-grade properties, where he learned all about investing. From there, Stephen specialised in funding people into investment portfolios. And as a natural consequence of the work he was doing, Stephen says he met some amazing financial planners, accountants and lawyers. That resulted in his understanding a lot about their industries that's changed the way he builds and a lending strategy. Stephen will tell you that people simply looking for a cheap interest rate is perhaps his least common requirement of his clients. So... What is it that more sophisticated investors are seeking? Let's hear more about that today from Stephen. Since we originally recorded an interview late last year, things have certainly changed around credit policy. The banks and lenders are much more cautious because certain industries are being hit hard with unemployment and so on. So I just wanted to know, what are your views on that? Yeah, so
1: I haven't had any specific evidence of industry-specific contraction in credit, However, I was speaking with a lender yesterday and they have had a general change in credit, which is the checking of employment. So they absolutely want savings accounts and salary deposits and pay slips that are within three weeks old. So that kind of confirms, you know, people are still presently employed and they're also going to the point of calling employers on all deals, to make sure that the employers are solvent and also that, that people are still employed as well. I don't deal a lot with casuals, but I'm certain that casual employment will become more difficult. You know, lenders who are potentially previously very good at that, like CBA, I'm absolutely certain will be looking at their overall policy to make sure that they... Because uh, they've got a statutory obligation not to put people into debts that they can't afford to repay. Mm. And apart from that, you know, people not paying back debts is just not good business. So there's absolutely going to be a contraction in credit and I fully foresee that for the next two years as we get through this and, you know, banks tend to look at a history of two years of people's incomes that there will be aberrations to people's repayment behaviour and I don't know how that credit's going to look at that in the future but absolutely common sense says it will have to contract.
0: And so what do you think about certain lenders as well? I know you flagged one particular big four lender that has really, really long delays at present.
1: At any particular time, banks have queues of business that somehow their staff and humans have to deal with and processes. With COVID, for instance, it actually affected one of the overseas call centres for the banks and closed down the whole call centre, which meant that all the big four banks' telephone inquiries had to come back to Australia instead of being shared across a range of different domiciles. So that's necessarily caused a big change in the amount of staff that they had to deal with the total inquiry. Indeed also that, you know, a lot of people don't have jobs now and the government in very quick turnaround made it that banks had to give people holidays. So... In addition to that, they've got less staff, they've got enormous additional amount of work and because people aren't feeling safe, they're obviously also making additional inquiries to the banks. So one lender's actually at 26 working days from the time that they receive a deal before they pick it up first time, let alone any mistakes and there's always mistakes and errors of miscommunication. means that you know, if you've got a standard 42-week settlement, you just absolutely can't no matter how good the deal is with that lender you just can't put it to them to have it done reasonably in a reasonable time frame
0: so as an example you said 42 weeks 42 days
1: 42 days yeah
0: Yeah, now as well as that i think um from you know offline we had a bit of a conversation earlier um what about people who currently have pre-approvals i mean where do they stand obviously you know the banks are going to revise that aren't they Possibly.
1: Well, you know, so that means to me two things, you know, what time frame does it take for Pre-approvals to go to unconditional as opposed to brand new deals So as an example that big lender who's at 26 days If you have an approval in place and you're taking it to full, it's only three days for them to bring forward But the question firstly is is if you've got a pre-approval each lender will have a policy around that and is it 26 days from pre-approval to full similarly with a brand new deal or not. And secondly, I don't know everyone's lenders, but just I'm a licensee, so I've got equal obligations to my clients as what um, lenders do. If there's a pre-approval in place, I would absolutely be getting updated financials from a client so that I satisfy myself that I'm not putting a person into a debt that they can't afford to repay. So, um, And I'm certain clients don't want that as well. So it's a very human and reasonable conversation to go, are you still earning the income, how secure are you in your income and do you still want to proceed with this transaction?
0: So if somebody is in that situation and they want to proceed with the transaction, are they better off, you know, going back and talking to their HR departments or, you know, making sure that there's a smooth flow of information? I mean, obviously... With so <laughs> I think it's, people it's, it's reasonable
1: with. for another reason is, is you know, am I going to be able to afford to eat next week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, as opposed to just, you know, like ongoing payments and who knows what's going forward, you know. Um, uh, and I recall many years ago when I was a policeman and we had the recession we had to have in 1990 or thereabouts and um, it was a fantastic time then to be having your wage underwritten by the government as opposed to being in private enterprise. And, you know, um, it's a really sad time for many industries out there. Employers aren't doing it any easier than it employees you know no one's feeling good about not earning at this point but absolutely all your financial decisions should be underpinned by the ongoing uh, like of revenue
0: so with people who have got time on their hands certainly I'm, I'm <laughs> with some of those people uh, looking yeah. at their mortgage and saying you know can i be playing less how can i save some money what's your thoughts on that is it a good time to be looking at a refinance or you know leave well enough alone
1: That's absolutely a case-by-case basis. There's uh, some amazing products out there called lines of credit and they were once the flavour of the month for people borrowing money and they're still an amazing product and I absolutely love them for certain reasons, even though that they are expensive compared to other products. But sometimes people who are on those lines of credit can move to other products that are like for like vastly cheaper mm. so i know some lenders who have products that operate akin to lines of credit just much cheaper if you don't have the income well the big chance is to go to your existing lender and ask for increased discounts because uh, i'm very successful at the present time getting increased discounts from just about all lenders on just about all different products for all clients mm. so on that point At different times different banks offer different discounts so on some occasions you may get an increase on other occasions you don't that might be because the banks trying to balance their book and get more customers new or they're trying to retain their book or they're trying to get more people onto fixed rates or they're trying to get people out of lines of credit or they don't want smsf lending at different points banks are just doing different things um Mm. So depending on the overall environment that the bank finds itself will be its appetite to give discounts to retain or attract new business
0: so do you have a view on uh, fixed versus variable right now I mean we we seem to, you know the Treasury's come out and said that you know rates are going to remain low do you have a view on on um, fixed versus variable
1: yeah I'm not going to be drawn on that question because I always end up wrong like most economists and mm-hmm. often traders do but I do caution clients, for example, with one example that we've recently looked at, the fixed rates, are, the three year fixed rates are 0.6 cheaper than the variable rate at the moment. So, in other words, and this is not true, but if banks, if the reserve bank dropped three times by 0.25, and even if the retail banks only passed on 0.6 of that, for a client to be making money out of the variable, the variable rate would have to drop by one point two percent, or in other words it's going to drop by point six to at least get to the fixed rate and then by a further point six to be in profit and at these present rates i I just can't see that happening. Um, mind you though that I started in the industry when it was seventeen point nine nine percent. And everyone at that time thought, gee, rates are only high and when we got down to 10.49% and rates were dropping by 05 at that time, just because the world was flat and not round, everyone said it can't drop between uh, below 10%. And I had a client ask me today whether I thought that rates could become negative in Australia and, you know, not that I understand Europe so well, but I don't think too many European countries went negative. We seem to be a lot better than Europe, but I'm mindful of the world is flat and not round. And I remember the thoughts at 10.49 and here we are at two and three.
0: Yeah.
1: But I'd leave it, I'd leave it to financial planners and economists and traders 100. to talk about that. But I'm very mindful, though, too, of a misunderstanding by just about everyone in Australian society is the relationship and where variable rate, rates come from at a retail level, or in other words, what's the relationship between banks lending you money and what the reserve does and separately how that rate moves and what happens with fixed rates and what makes the fixed, fixed rate market move. It's largely misunderstood. People think that fixed rates and variable rates move on the same markets and they don't. They
0: don't, no. No. Okay, thank you. And uh, one final question. Have you had to uh, make any changes in your business so far? I mean, your business has largely been face-to-face or out of your home office. Have you made any changes to take your business online or what have you done, Steve? Yeah,
1: I I haven't largely. I'm fortunate enough to have a very big existing client base, which means that a great deal of my business can be done over the telephone for existing clients. I haven't had many new clients in the last couple of weeks, oddly. (laughs) So I haven't had to deal with that. But modern society for some time has become accustomed to firstly text messages and mobile phones and then emails. And, you know, as we're drawing further... As we have a lot more younger people growing up to become adults, they're more accustomed to non-face-to-face transactions rather than, you know, older clients such as myself. So, so the idea of the idea of forming a relationship of trust and advice through media, even for you know older doctors like myself, is becoming new. But what I would say is is that Several weeks back, I had an obligation to meet people to identify them and see their passports and driver's licenses and present that to the lender. Lenders have come about very quickly with accepting different forms of verification of, inter, uh, of identity over various sources. So there has been some practical changes to that. I'm wondering when this is all over and done with, whether it re- might revert back to the old way or not.
0: Yeah, and I I agree. I got something yesterday telling me about the new sort of know your clients in this current environment. So some changes on foot, but again, are they permanent or temporary? Um, I think time will tell.
1: (laughs) But (laughs) what I would say, though, is, is, um, and I'm very mindful about the way that my brain works and my memory works and the passing of information and misinformation and disinformation so from the time that I see a client, there's all the preparation of clients and applications and then there's settlement and post-settlement and we talk about tax and credit and loans and variable and fixed and offset and lines of credit and tax and off-the-plan properties and uh, sunset clauses and Queensland versus New South Wales contracts and Land accounts and direct debits and different ta- uh, tax advices and financial planning advices. And it turns out to be an enormous process and then you get a bank offer that's like 24 pages long with uh, provisions attached to it and then you've got a bear deed and super deed and then you've got company directors and, you know, annual statements and tax returns and, you know, um, depreciation schedules and... Somehow there's an individual in between all of that. And I'm absolutely certain I don't remember everything that I do and clients who aren't used to all this conversation are going to forget all of it. So I'm very fond of, in particular, when I say something significant to a client or to an advisor. I don't leave that solely to verbal communication anymore. I always always talk with someone and then I email them a summary of what I said or... I'll do an email of a summary of what I want to talk about and then I'll call them and I'll telephone them because it's such an enormous process over many, many, many months with many hiccups and wins and then historically after three years no one's going to remember anything. And, you know, for an advisor like you and I in a litigious society where often people don't remember or understand at the time, it's, yeah, I'm just taking more precaution now with my notes
0: a big part of our job is making sure we've got our notes clear and concise and that people are making informed decisions because we've properly explained everything to them. And I think that, um, you know, people taking advice or who haven't taken advice potentially don't understand that, that it that is a, a, big, a big part of what we do is really educating clients on different options and so that they are able to make those informed decisions.
1: Well, yeah, I know I like to think that, you know, I like your use of the word informed there because, you know, advice is not about, in my view, ensuring uh, performance of asset. I think on balance, advice is about making more informed and better decisions that you would formerly have made. Yes. And I think, that, I think that's the litmus test is, is not the performance of the asset or absolutely whether you did best. I think a better better litmus test is was the decision better than I formerly would have made.
0: Yeah. And and that's absolute truth. <laughs> it's uh, it's not about, you know, I when I'm speaking to clients on reviews, I'm not sitting down talking endlessly about the performance of a particular investment. I'm talking about, you know, what's happening in their life and are we on track for them to achieve their goals and, you know, yep. how, how is what we've done fitting in with their life? Have there been any changes? Do we need to, move on to a different path or do some more strategy or whatever that is. It's rarely about performance. You know, I've had the
1: experience in the last couple of days from a couple of clients who have asked me about where interest rates are going. I don't know anyone who actually knows what's going on because I don't know any traders or anybody in Treasury or different parts of banks who look at what's going on with that stuff and I'm completely ill-informed and uneducated around as well myself. But I'm mindful of a friend who used to be a day trader and he said, traders have a zero-sum game. And I said, what is that? He goes, well, 99% of their transactions are never when they transact out at a high or when the, whether they at a low. They're always not perfect. So in other words, they mentally get upset at themselves for not getting the best or the worst. Mm. And, I'm a kind, and I was thinking I'm a kind of near enough guy I don't, Try to be the best anymore or make the best decision. You know, if I'm, if I'm buying roughly near the bottom and I'm selling roughly near the top, that's not bad. If I'm getting interest rates roughly that are competitive right now and how's they going to stand in the future, that suits me well. And I've had a couple of clients who are just beating themselves up about the decision to fix or not, about which way the two markets are going. And I said to them, it's a zero, you're never going to be happy because. You don't have access to the information to make those decisions and you haven't done the degrees to work out what's going to happen into the future. How are you going to make a decision that makes you happy?
0: Perfection is overrated in my opinion. I think (laughs) that you make the absolute best, most informed decision you can make and then you... You was know, it
1: okay, and was it okay at the time? Was it absolutely best? Well, I don't know. Was it comparable? Well, yeah, it was. And you know interest rates aren't 7.99 now, they're two or they're two and a half fifty points on a rate is not going to be the end of your life, I would hope.
0: Uh, so look, you know, perfection is definitely overrated. I I find it incredible that people just be, suffer from analysis paralysis when they, you know, just want perfection. Um, yeah. it, it is a sort of bias, and it can be quite harmful.
1: <laughs> well, and in in particular that they want yeah, they want perfection out of a thing, and yet not willing to provide perfection themselves. Yeah. Thanks
0: for your time today, Steve. Been as always a pleasure speaking to you.
1: Excellent. See you
0: soon, Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or email me at admin at to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.